Welcome to Fit or Fad, the podcast that takes a closer look at trends in the health and fitness industries. I'm your ever curious host, Samantha Wonder. Each week, I talk to experts and professionals about the fads they wish would disappear already and the trends they hope continue to grow. This is not your dad's fitness podcast. Whether you're a fitness newbie or a health guru, you have a place here. Let's get started. This week, we're revisiting our earlier conversation with Aaron White to continue talking about how the pandemic has affected mental health. And this time, we're focusing on how students have been doing managing their mental health and or learning disabilities during the pandemic. Recall that Aaron White is a mental health professional in California. He has two certifications, a licensed professional clinical counselor and pupil personnel service certification. He works with middle and high school students, and he has also just started his own private practice, the Authentic Project Counseling. Here's what he had to say. So, so you're a school psychologist, right? Yes. Okay. Make sure I'm using the right terminology. So do you currently work with students? Like what age of students do you work with currently? Currently, I work with middle school and high school students. Do you primarily assess and help students manage learning disabilities or like what other kind of mental health counseling do you offer at the school? If you want to just talk about like what you do. Um, yes. So as a school psychologist, we're, we're, you know, I'm glad you said that learning disabilities. That is the the biggest thing uh, that I assist with because that's the, the, the main thing with special education. But essentially what I do is I, I assess students for special education. Um, and you know, special education is a um, it's it's federal it's a federal um, educational thing. So special education is in all fifty states. So mm-hmm. there's certain criteria that students have to meet um, if they are experiencing something. And I essentially I assess students to see if whatever it is they're going through, if it is has an educational impact, is it impacting them? in the educational setting. So that's one part of my job. I also do a lot of, um, I like to call it brief, brief counseling, um, because a lot of our time, you know, as school psychologists, unfortunately, is we have a lot of assessments to complete. And brief counseling or solution-based brief counseling, as it's sometimes called, is a style of counseling that is meant to provide students with the tools for facilitating change in their own lives. It focuses on teaching students that they are capable of change and directs them to focus on future solutions instead of past problems. It's called brief counseling to reflect the limited time school counselors have with students. So I don't get to do a lot of the deep diving therapy uh, that I'm trained to do. It's more brief. Um, I also do a lot of crisis, (laughs) uh, crisis intervention. You know, it seems like when there's an issue on the campus, they always come to me, Mr. White, Mr. White. So uh, I don't know if it's like that for all school psychologists, but for me, that's one. Uh, and really, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a liaison, I feel, for students and families. Uh, there are a lot of people who don't understand the special education process right. um, and what that looks like. So I educate a lot of families and people on that process and what that looks like. So are you all still virtual in California? Is your school still virtual? My school district is virtual right now. Uh, Um, You know, we are still virtual and I believe we'll be virtual for the rest of this year, at least my district. 
Um, so you had no period where you were in person since last March. I have had very little. So, you know, oh, I, wow. I do uh, assessments on students for the IEP process. That is an individualized education program. It lays out the unique needs of special education students, including annual goals for the student, descriptions of current performance, and other relevant details. It's an important part of the U.S. special education system. So basically, to sum up how the process works, a school professional will identify a child who may need special education services, then someone like Aaron evaluates that child, the situation is evaluated by parents and other professionals, and then the IEP is written. Uh, some districts are, are assessing students in person with, you know, the, of course, the proper um, protocols in place. Mm -hmm. And I have done some of that, but it has not been nearly as much as what I would usual, usually do. There's been no in-person instruction since last year in March wow. uh, in my school district. And we end very early out here. So the end of school is like May 28th or, you know, the end of May. So. So then how have students' mental health needs shifted during the pandemic? And are you having to offer even more support for especially students with learning disabilities? Um, yeah. So one of the biggest issues that we've been having, I think, and this is, you know, nationally, I believe, is students mm -hmm. logging in uh, to classes, right? You know, uh, where I work is, you know, it's probably an urban area. So you have a lot of people who are really just trying to make it. Um, mm -hmm. So school is important, but, you know, survival is more important. And Aaron's school district is definitely not the only one that has seen this problem during the pandemic. Recent studies have shown that across the country, children from the poorest neighborhoods in the U.S. have experienced and will continue to experience the most negative and long-lasting effects from the pandemic. A study from December 2020, co-authored by a Yale economist Fabrizio Zilabati and supported by the National Bureau of Economic Research, backed this up. It determined that children who live in the poorest 20% of U.S. neighborhoods will have the most negative consequences long term. And it also predicts that ninth graders in those poorest communities will have a 25% decrease in post-educational earning potential. Compare that to those from the richest 20% of neighborhoods who are predicted to have no substantial losses in earning potential. So, you know, you have some parents who um, they have to go to work and they're hopefully trusting their children to log in and go to class. And some of them are not doing it. So you've seen a drop off definitely with uh, performance, uh, you know, with students that have any type of disabilities and then the students or specifically with learning disabilities. And then I think you've seen. The students that have more severe disabilities, ironically, some of them have done a lot better, um, you know, being able to log in and sit behind a, a computer and type their answers. And they enjoy being on the uh, computer versus then in person. So some students have thrived. I would say not as not a whole lot. But every once in a while, you hear some stories about why this student is doing a lot better versus the other ones who just aren't logging in. They're just off their routine, and it's hard to get them to uh, log in and invest in this process of learning. Right. And could that be because of different types of disabilities 
I know it's it depends on the the person, I suppose, but would it be someone who has anxiety? Maybe would they do better from home because they wouldn't be in person or someone who has another, you know, does it kind of correlate to yes. that or does it just depend? Absolutely. So the students who might have been struggling with anxiety and whether that be from uh, the learning environment or maybe from uh, bullying or something of that nature, they're doing a whole lot better. Right. Because it allows them just to focus in um, and not be as distracted. Um, so you're right. Definitely the students who suffer from anxiety, uh, they've done a lot better. Um, some of the kids who might fall somewhere on the spectrum, um, they have struggled. You know, um, they're struggling to stay motivated. Uh to log in, you know, they, they, those students need a lot of peer interaction, uh, social skills and, you know, behind the computer, that's been a huge challenge for them. A study released in June of last year from Brain Sciences looked specifically at how students with autism spectrum disorders have done during the pandemic. It showed based on data from over 500 participants that it was a challenging period for 93.9% of families. The study showed that the pandemic has particularly resulted in difficulties for autistic students to manage their daily activities. So, as Aaron goes on to say, many students with disabilities have, in fact, still struggled during the pandemic. It, it really all depends on their disability and, and what they're going through and, and how they're struggling. So. so then, since you do kind of work with middle and high school students, have you noticed a difference among the older and younger students as to how they're handling it or is has it not really depended on age? Like I would I would assume people who are closer to the end of graduating high school, that might be a little bit harder for them because they're not able to experience everything. But have you noticed a difference? Yes, I have. So, yes, um, high school, I've seen a, a, a decline. I think the students who are closer to the end, have a lot of them have kind of checked out. Um, you know, you have some of them who are like, man, I'm just about to get a job. I'm going to start working. And once I start getting a little bit of money, then I'm not really worried about school. And then, uh, like I said, some of some where I work is an urban area. So some of the kids, um, financial situations is a whole lot different. Some of them have to work, uh, to try to provide for their family. So they're like, I I'm working now. I need to get a job, you know, maybe their fam parents might've got laid off. And so now they're trying to bring in some money too. Um, and then, you know, other, other students are just kind of like, man, what's the point of, you know, distance learning or, you know, so it's, it's really call, causing a shift because like I told you, some, some kids are just not logging on. They're not invested in this, this process of in this way of learning it's it's really impacted them uh in many different ways where they're just kind of thinking like well what's the point right um which has been challenging it's been a barrier for sure right right so so then i guess kind of bouncing off of that how do you think the results are how do you think everything that's been happening with the pandemic and the effect on education, how do you think it's going to continue to affect students even when things get back to normal? Do you think there are going to be effects from that? Absolutely. I I think when the kids come back, um, I think we'll see a lot more behaviors mm -hmm. um, 
because they've just been away for so long. So ju- just the excitement of being around other peers and uh, the joy of that, I think, you know, I- I'm just, you know, um, guessing, right? But I-, mm-hmm. I would assume that we'll see some more behaviors. And then I think it's just going to be one of those things where, you know, a lot of these kids, especially at the middle school level, uh, they missed their whole sixth grade year. Um, so the sixth graders never been to school and they'll be in seventh grade. And so wow. that transition from elementary school to, to middle school um, for them is just going to be a huge shift uh, because in middle school, we like to use sixth grade as kind of like a um, a transition period for them. So they're not changing all their classes yet. They just move a couple times, have them get adjusted. Then seventh grade, you know, they have the new classes every single period. And so those kids are going to miss all that. Eighth graders never had an eighth grade year. They're going straight to high school. Um, so it's just going to be a huge, huge transition and learning curve. Um, you know, us at my district, we're just trying to be more proactive from a social emotional learning standpoint mm-hmm. um, to try to offer more, more things to help them with their transition, uh, for all those kids moving up a grade and moving on. Have you seen at your school and I guess in your district, um, have there been more diagnoses of different mental health disorders or, have you know have they become more prevalent because students aren't in the classroom or has it been harder to even see them because you're not with the students in person i i think you know when it when you say diagnosis um i, I just want to clarify when as a school psychologist i'm not diagnosing for mental mental health disorders i'm really working off uh, uh like 13 criterias uh for special education Aaron makes a good point. So there is a difference between a learning disability and a mental health disorder. So to clarify, learning disabilities are neurologically based. They impact an individual's processing and use of information they take in, which can make learning more difficult in some cases. And a mental health disorder is one that affects your mood, thinking, and behavior. These can develop at any time and are not necessarily permanent, while learning disabilities are permanent. And so Aaron works primarily with students with learning disabilities as a school psychologist. And so he's not diagnosing students with mental disorders. It's interesting because I'm a therapist too, but I'm also working as a school psychologist. So um, if I'm working in the outpatient clinic where I'm actually providing therapy and I'm diagnosing or my private practice. Mm -hmm. um, And again, Aaron did just recently open his own private practice. So this is where he would be able to diagnose for mental health disorders. That's the difference between his work that he does at his practice and job as a school psychologist. When he's working for the school, he's not always made aware of mental health disorders that every student may have. As a school psychologist, it's not always brought to my attention um, unless they have, you know, an IEP or I'm assessing the students. Um, when I have been assessing the students, it's very interesting. The the vibe that I get, they're they're just so hyped up just to be for the process. Mm. You know, they're happy to be there with me, and we're just, and I'm just giving them tests. Sam, I'm mm. giving them certain tests. I try to make it fun, but 
they actually want to come and test with me. They they want to be there. Um, to have some kind of so interaction. Have like- some type of interaction. And I think that, you know, I try to make the process very fun. I try to make it very comfortable for them. Um, so I set the tone with them and stuff. But it, I think when I see the kids on a one-on-one basis, the interaction I get is a lot different from maybe what the families might tell me or the parents tell me or what the teachers tell me because it's a safe space. Um, and, and, and and they share stuff with me. They share that, you know, uh, Mr. Aaron or Mr. White, I'm just, I'm just struggling, man. I'm trying to be motivated, but the whole online learning has been a lot more difficult. Uh, you know, my family might be moving, so we're trying to deal with that. Uh, you know, we all had COVID at one time and now we're better. Uh, so just different things. You don't know what you're going to hear or how it's going to impact these kids, but uh, they're they're struggling, but I can say there's been a sense of resiliency. Unfortunately, the last few minutes of our conversation were lost by the recording software. So I'll share a recap of how Aaron believes students and parents can work together to navigate the consequences of distance learning. He says it's important to establish and set a daily routine. So that means having students wake up on time, take breaks, and eat both breakfast and lunch every day. These daily tasks all help to make students' days feel as normal as possible. Also, designating a place for both students and parents to work in a quiet space of the house can create a better learning environment as well. Aaron says parents should also make sure they communicate and set expectations for their children. And finally, he says attitude is everything, especially for the parent. He says it's important to remember that these are not fix-alls, but just some small things parents and children can do to assist each other. There will still be challenges, and no one should expect perfection. And finally, Aaron makes it clear that he believes supporting mental health for students is definitely the fit thing to do. And he says that supporting mental health is also important for all people. This has been Fit or Fad. Thank you to Ellie Petchel for designing our album artwork and create our infamous space for creating our theme music. If you love what you've been hearing, consider supporting Fit or Fad by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribing. We're also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Our handle is at fitorfadpod. Fit or Fad is changing its schedule coming up. Due to some changes in my own life, we'll be releasing episodes once or twice a month. The plan is still to release on Tuesdays. So, talk to you soon.